0: Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast. This is episode 80, believe it or not. I'm Ryan Sir, along with Don Helbig. Don, how you doing this evening?
1: Doing great. Very excited about this episode.
0: Yeah. Well, we're not going to have any further ado. Yeah. Follow us on all the podcast apps and stuff, but whatever. Let's pause. We've got Jeffrey Siebert on the show. The man, the myth, the legend, Jeffrey Siebert, currently serving as the president of Six Flags Fiesta, Texas. Mr. Siebert, how are you doing today?
2: Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure to see you guys. You guys are the epitome of excitement. If I could just look right now, I mean, the energy level is contagious. Mm. So it is, it's really fun to join you guys on this monumental occasion of celebrating your 80th episode. That's quite an accomplishment. So, congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) So,
1: Jeffrey, kind of walk us through uh, your career. A lot of, you know, um, you know, Parkgoers, goers, they, they remember you from Kings Island and Schlitterbahn and now Six Flags Fiesta, Texas, uh, but kind of walk through how you got to this point.
2: Well, it, like many of us fellow enthusiasts, it's been a lifelong passion. I've just, from the time I could remember, I just have always loved and truly enjoyed amusement parks and theme parks. Growing up in Cleveland, I had the luxury of some really great Parks to go to that were close to my home. I grew up with Geauga Lake and Seaworld of Ohio, Cedar Point, Waldemere, Conneaut Lake. I could go on and on and on. And then eventually to Kennywood. And then, of course, making my first trek down to Cincinnati, being the fellow enthusiast to experience King's Island for the first time. But just truly always loved them. So I knew when I finally would pick some type of career, it would have to be doing what we all love to do, which is hanging out and having fun in amusement parks and theme parks.
0: So Jeff, the first time I remember hearing about you or of you, uh, you were working for the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks of the AHL out of the Cincinnati Gardens. Talk about your transition from working for a hockey team to working in the theme park industry.
2: Well, it was fun to work with Mr. Helbig in those crazy years when the, the Ducks was a brand new franchise in Cincinnati and all the magic and excitement that came with it. But when I was at the Ducks... King's Island was going through some transitions of leadership. So I was actually recruited to join the King's Island family. They were making some transitions in the marketing department and saw what I had been doing at the Mighty Ducks. And before that, at Americana Amusement Park and knew that it could be a great opportunity win win for both sides of the equation. So I joined Paramount's King's Island back in the day in 1999 when the Son of Beast was just announced. The park was just opening the Drop Zone Stunt Tower and Face Off. And just lots of excitement, momentum that was building around these really cool Hollywood brands. So it was a fun transition to go from the Mighty Ducks. It was sad because I was there since basically day one of the the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks. So it's always sad to leave such a cool brand and experience, but also how exciting to continue on in my theme park and amusement park adventures. Now,
1: before you went to Kings Island at Americana and with the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks, You wear a lot of hats. You got to do a lot of different things. Uh, You had to make things happen on a shoestring budget. Uh, How did those experiences pay off as you went uh, into Kings Island?
2: Well, the the thing that I've learned is budgets are always very relative. No matter the scale, it's never (laughs) big enough, regardless of what you want to do. But it really is that creative passion that we did at the Ducks and at Americana of how do you turn 10 cents of expense into $50 of guest-facing excitement. And it's that type of key learning that even in the Paramount's King's Island years and the Schlitterbahn years and the Six Flags really is making sure that we get the maximum exposure for our guests of what really matters, which is that fantasy and storytelling and the excitement of how things visually look and how, how do you just make it visually stunning and excited. So even if you don't go on a ride or you just walk through a part of the park, It overall still tells the quality of of what you're trying to do. So back in the Paramount Park days, even if you weren't going to ride the stunt tower or the stunt track or anything else with the word stunt in it, it still looked visually cool and stunning. If you think about the Italian Job Stunt Track, having the fire effects and the helicopter come rising out and the Mini Cooper splashing out, all those things were just visually different than any other attraction that the park had built to date. And then carrying that forward to today where we're still entertaining in big ways with our cliffhanger dive coaster, the world's steepest dive coaster of its kind, or our daredevil dive, where fireballs are shooting out and the ride is synchronized audio. It is really making sure that all expense goes to creating really memorable and exciting and dynamic looking attractions and enhance.
0: So Jeff, I, I, you know, this podcast is obviously about the entire industry and and we're certainly going to get into what you're doing now, but a lot of our audience would know you originally from Kings Island. So can we expand upon that just a little bit? What is your favorite memory of the time when you were, I believe it was marketing communications manager, is what you called yourself. Um, so you opened a tiny job, Tomb Raider The Ride. Uh, you came in a little bit late late for Son of Beast and, and so on. Which one was your favorite memory? And, and tell us about
2: that experience. Well, the, the answer is all of it. <laughs> no doubt working at Paramount's Kings Island with the team that was there was just a really special time. For all of us, and we knew it then, which was very cool. We actually knew how special this moment was, and as we've continued our careers, known how special it was as well. But Tomb Raider The Ride probably has to stand out as something that was a little bit more special because of the excitement and involvement with so many different folks, from working with uh, Pinewood Studios and the sets and... Angelina Jolie and her comments herself when developing the ride and looking at movie selects were there the attention of detail that the company really wanted to go all the way down to the uh, Range Rover tire tracks that were embedded in the concrete. It really was just a fun surprise to many guests. And as you know, through that campaign, we kept it as a surprise. We did not release that it was the world's first and only ever built giant who's topspin. That could be a whole different story in (laughs) itself, but. To have that level of immersion and theming and storytelling for a regional theme park ride really was very cutting edge for its day. And the fact that it was orchestrated Hollywood scenes from a movie, voiceover, that it was really Angelina Jolie's voice through the whole thing. The music that was composed for the ride and attraction really elevated what the entire experience could be like for a regional theme park ride. Jeffrey, going back
1: to those days, uh, you know, I specifically think about Tomb Raider, the ride, the media day events, uh, you know, those were very immersive, Cut those rides off to a great start. Uh, but also leading up to that, you know, even to the announcement were those teaser videos that you would do. Uh, I would like to say you were a pioneer in all of that because, you know, Parks would just send out a press release, hey, we got a press conference coming, you know, those kind of things to announce what's new. You come out with these videos and everyone's talking about that leading up to the announcement. So kind of what went into that, and uh, how did you get buy-in from all the different individuals at uh, Paramount's Kings Island at the time, you know, to, to want to be involved in
2: these videos? Well, there, there are two fun things. One, it was really helping pioneer the whole animated creation of, of videos to showcase the ride through animation, which was emerging at that time frame. Uh, getting our guests excited, but doing it a little bit different, not just showing point of view, creating some storytelling like you saw, either an Italian job, it looked like a Hollywood blockbuster film, but then also taking those productions to a more intimate level for our fans, knowing that we can all have more fun with our enthusiasts in many ways, and then creating these fun spoofs, either with Blair Witch for The Son of Beast, which is a fun spoof, or as you mentioned, the Paramounts, uh, when we were doing the Paramount Stunt Track with Italian Job, creating the whole fun with the Brady Bunch or all the other fun spoofs that we've done along the way. But it really is just throwing out that concept and just saying, you know what, we're just doing it. We're just going to have fun. We know our audience is going to love it. And We had fun along the way. And hopefully that just continues to carry through. Or, for example, like when we did Tomb Raider: of the Ride and did the whole National Geographic spoof. So taking things that our guests and we all know and love but putting that unique, fun spin on it just makes it over the top, great, hopefully good memories for everybody that was involved. And that was long before there was YouTube and any other video source to get our guests excited and our most ardent fans excited about rides and attractions of, of what we're building and doing.
0: So Jeff, I, I remember the day and um, this was a day that I never thought would come where and I found out as many enthusiast park lovers did that you'd be leaving. I think, I believe I found out from a post from friend of the show, John Keeter on, uh, PKI com at the time. Now, obviously KICentral.com shout out to them. Um, so you went off to greener pastures, uh, you moved your whole family down to San Antonio to originally work for Schlitterbahn. Um, can you tell us more about that decision? Um, obviously, you know, it, it was done for career growth and stuff like that, but that kind of risk is something like, that's a decision I would never really want to have to to make to move my whole family, you know, 2000 miles away, uh, pick up everything we've ever known and and move and take a risk on a new job. Talk about what pushed you over the line to say, yes, I'm going to do this.
2: Well, I, I love change. I'm one of those folks that the only constant is change. So my entire life, I've just I love change. It's one of the reasons why I love construction and constantly looking for new projects because I just truly have always really enjoyed the dynamic nature of change. When that opportunity was proposed, Schlitterbahn was getting ready to expand not only within the state of Texas, but they were beginning to look outside the state of Texas, outside of the state of Texas, to really expand the Schlitterbahn Empire. And that was a lot of fun to be part of that in those conversations of what markets did the company want to go to, what were they looking to do next? But it was also fun at the flagship park to be able to be involved and help design rides and attractions and stretch my wings on that side of the equation. So help design and build the Dragon's Revenge, which would eventually win a golden ticket. Also help design the Congo River Expedition and work with third third parties and animatronic companies and just help make these turnkey installations along with Schlitterbahn's Hill Country Christmas. Not only did it allow me really to stretch my wings and just work with some really fantastic people that I'll have friendships for the rest of my life, and just kind of the crazy environment of, okay, are we opening a park today at six? Are we going to open the park tomorrow? Nope. Nope. We're opening it now. Okay. We're opening the park now. Just that type of crazy entrepreneurship uh, really did allow great growth opportunities. And most importantly, just Mm -hmm. lots of crazy fun along the way, which is, you know, you never know where that's going to lead to next, but it was, it was tough. It's tough leaving my entire family that grew up in Ohio, but fortunately for me, my, my family's just as crazy. So when My wife and I moved down here. Ryan, my son, was just over a year old. And my parents were like, we'll just move with you. So my parents ended up moving to Texas. My brother ended up moving to Texas. So the whole Seabird side uh, came down here, which has made it a lot of fun. And, of course, the weather in San Antonio, except when it's 200 billion degrees, normally the weather is very pretty, very nice. and It's a great place to raise a family for sure.
1: Yeah, Jeffrey, I remember when you left, uh, you know, different, um, you know, guests were approaching me saying why, why would he do that this this was a dream job and everything and I said, you know there's probably not really a dream job for people who work in whether it's the sports industry or the theme parks there's dream opportunities and you know that's what Kings on would have been for you would have been a dream opportunity um rather than a dream job and you have to like you said you know look for change you have to look for new challenges and uh you know it certainly worked out well for you
2: yes it's The greatest growth is when you take these types of opportunities and change. And it's a fun way of just getting out of your comfort zone, shaking it up, and seeing what the new horizons will bring. And fortunately, the new horizons have always been bigger and brighter than the past experiences, which has made it a really fun journey.
0: So I'm going to dive into – some Fiesta Texas stuff now, because you, you sparked the thought in my head, because I have a couple n- notes jotted down for questions I've been meaning to ask you for, I don't know, a decade now, but you haven't been on Skype in a while. <laughs> um So obviously Fiesta Texas has seen quite a bit of growth under your very capable leadership. I think we can all say that without dispute. Uh, one of the things that you did that's extraordinarily unique is that not only are you adding attractions and you know the the whole normal capital expenditure thing but a lot of things like ride renovations and re-themes you're pouring a lot of money into existing rides and attractions so what 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 was it like to like convince this the stakeholders that this is a good capital expenditure that's going to have a return on investment for something that is kind of dicey to market as a new attraction like what are your thoughts on that
2: well, there's no doubt that great results allow for great flexibility and opportunity. That when you begin proving that these crazy ideas that we all have, these are things really our guests want to want us to do, and that really is it. It's nothing here is built because I think it's cool or compelling. It's because our guests believe that it's cool and compelling, and my whole job is just to deliver what our guests want us to do. So that that's the magic track record is I'm listening just like you guys are to what our guests want so for example poltergeist poltergeist was a classic 1990 ride 1999 launch coaster from premier rides it looked the exact same way for the first basically 20 years of its life and we're like this oh my gosh this is a prime opportunity to reimagine what this attraction can do because it was getting to the age where it needed to be repainted and so we engaged our guests we actually did polls and surveys and facebook posts showing "Hey, here's." Here's five different color combinations. Which one do you guys think is the cooler, coolest combination? So our guests actually picked the color that's on that ride today. And we've always known from a storytelling perspective, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could make this ride more immersive and tell more of the poltergeist story versus just an open air station? Plus, we have the advantage that it's hot in Texas. So to be able to enclose the station and add air conditioning, not only can you darken it up to add effects, but you're keeping your guests now much more comfortable in an air conditioned environment. So for very little capital funds, we had our in-house design team build haunted statues and mausoleums and a Christine-like car where the headlights light and the horn goes off waiting in the outside queue. And now you work your way up to actually into the foyer where our teammate statues, a haunted scene. We actually bought some old wood from a Victorian home in San Antonio that was being decommissioned. So it's got that classic old stairwell that kind of goes to nowhere in the old Victorian style furniture before going into the loading area. But those were all things that, again, how do you turn 10 cents into what looks like thousands of dollars of expense? And that's really what matters. It's the showmanship of what we do to create that illusion. And once you set the tone, it's much easier to help carry that illusion in our rides and attractions. And we've truly been able to go ride by ride to show what that does. For me, the first time kind of selling my soul for that concept was the King's Mills Log Flume. At Kings Island, because the Kings Mills Log Flume had gotten to a point where it, it, it no longer could run. So, if you recall, it actually was SBNO for one entire season where it was standing but not operating. And we worked with our leadership at that time to convince that reinvesting in that attraction not only was the right thing to do, but we could also remarket it by retheming it. And so it was truly the SLT meetings of so you're telling me that if we spend this money and we retheme it, you will market it as new. And I said, absolutely, we will get it done. Our guests will love it. They'll believe that it's new. And sure enough, saving that ride, adding the O.D. Hopkins galvanized trough and then retheming it to the Wild Thornberrys River Adventure as part of the Nickelodeon Central expansion along with Rugrats Runaway Reptar was a huge hit. I mean, it was a fantastic year for the park. Guests absolutely loved it. The only thing that we made the mistake of was, if you recall that year, we decided or the operations team, or someone decided to reduce the size of the queue because like, oh, we've never used it, wasn't needed. Well then, because we reduced the size of the queue, we had overflow queue every, every day because yeah. the demand was greater than the, than the queue that existed. So uh, the queue still used to be much, much larger than it was, but that was my first time really showing and showcasing and proving that retheming an existing asset really can work. The secret sauce to that though, where others have not been as successful is guests have to like the conveyance device. There have been times in our company, or I should say our industry's history, where we've tried to re-theme rides that weren't, guests did not like the conveyance device. Well, theming that doesn't work. So you could spend all kinds of money on theming a conveyance device that guests don't like, and it doesn't make it any better. But you take a conveyance device that guests already like, add theming, and then it actually exacerbates and enhances the experience beyond the original attraction. But it does take that secret sauce. you got to have a good ride. Plus a fun story, and that just makes it pure magic. Yeah, Jeffrey, uh, your time at Fiesta
1: Texas the past decade—I don't know—it's hard for me to come up with another park that has added so many new things. You know, whether it's like retheming an existing attraction or just new rides. So, kind of walk us down the past decade there, and just all the different things that you've done.
2: Well, it is—it is a fun list, and hopefully, you guys will come and experience it all for yourself. But it's uh, going from the Iron Rattler to several water park expansions, including Bahama Blaster, which at the time was the world's steepest water slides. There were trapdoor water slides. We had the swim bar that year. We also added in the water park expansion, Thunder Rapids water coaster, which is at the time it was America's first rocket blast, which uses high velocity nozzles to blast you and accelerate you uphill which was a new emerging technology from ProSlide. We actually blast you up more than 100 feet in elevation throughout the ride. And the fact that you can actually increase the speed while you're going uphill is a lot of fun. The thing is, as close to riding a washing machine as <laughs> you can probably experience. I mean, there's just water coming at you from every way, which is, which is great. We did a boardwalk expansion where we added three fun, broad attractions there. We've added several different prototype world firsts including Batman the Ride, which is the world's first 4D free spin ever built. A few years later, we opened up Wonder Woman, which is the world's first Rocky Mountain single-rail mm-hmm. coaster ever built. Then, of course, Cliffhanger, the world's steepest dive coaster on planet Earth, and the first time in B&M's entire history they ever built a roller coaster that was beyond vertical of 95 degrees, throwing in a little extra magic of Daredevil Dive Flying Machines, the first of its kind, with our friends at Zamperla, taking their really popular air race concept and raising it, having it lift off the ground to go in the air. Our Joker, the world's largest pendulum ride of its kind, and we built a fun walkthrough funhouse. So a whole variety of just great experiences and attractions we've added over the years, including, as you said, Don, all the re-themes. Poltergeist, Pirates of the Deep Sea... Bugs Bunny, Whitewater Rapids, Daredevil Dive, Cliffhanger all offer immersive cues and theming, and even redoing some of our more beloved classics like Roadrunner Express and adding the Roadrunner back in and Wiley Coyote and the fun story that all those attractions have told for generations of fans. And now we're all cleaned up and ready to go again for the next decades of fans to enjoy these classic attractions.
0: So, Jeffrey, one attraction that you didn't mention, which I think is one of the most exciting things that, uh, has been contributed to the industry and Six Flags obviously had a big hand in it for taking the risk is the, uh, the spaghetti bowl, Piscetti bowl, sorry, uh, skyline attractions, friends of the show. Um, so, uh, so you, you open kid flash cosmic coaster, you know, obviously prototype things with having to do some adjustments on the trains or, or whatever that happens. Um, besides that, how's it been received? I, I can tell you that from an outsider looking in that, uh, lighting package that they have on it is just incredible. I think that is so neat. Uh, but from a ride experience standpoint, a guest standpoint, what's the feedback been like?
2: Correct, Ryan, because all that I mentioned now brings us up to where we are today, which is the DC Universe expansion. So when we are looking at what is step one in anchoring this DC Universe area, a family multi-generational coaster was definitely decided that this is where we needed to put it. There was an old bumper car building. It was very dark and dingy and, again, very outdated. So to be able to open up this piece of land and offer a new signature attraction. So when Skyline, one of the reasons they were selected is because of the racing coaster concept. There's no other racing coaster in the entire state of Texas. So not only is it a racing coaster, which is fun, not only is it really designed, multi-generational, for the entire family to enjoy together and race with each other, as you mentioned, it also features the world's first Aurora lighting package, which offers digital LED panels that cake the sides of the ride and the top that allow you to do any type of computer-generated or live-action, whatever you want. So in our case, it shows us really cool uh, kid flash or flash pulse that goes all the way around the ride, and then we could even change it up for the holidays. It's basically TV screens that you put all around your track that you can do anything that you want with, and it was a lot of fun, and it's just visually stunning. So when we open the ride, it, by our guest standards, it was an immediate hit. I mean, people are coming off. They're just making sure they ride both sides because that's one of the other fun features is each side is different. They're not duplicates of each other. So the AC side of the track performs differently than the DC. They offer different elements. They, have, they duel each other. They race each other. So it's just a lot of fun. And we actually cycle the ride twice under normal operation. When we host our enthusiast events, like the ones we have coming up, we have a special program that allows it to cycle three different times to give a longer ride experience when we're marathoning it and doing our exclusive ride time sessions. But but no doubt, Kid Flash opened up uh, earlier this fall or she said this past fall, and it's been a huge hit with our guests since opening. So let's look so cool. So let's be clear
1: for all the coaster enthusiasts listening: Kid Flash Cosmic Coaster is two credits correct.
2: Most, most of our industry experts consider it as two coasters, so you get two credits. The ride can run independently of each other if we do need to take a train down for rehab or servicing. So the ride can continue to run as, as two separate attractions if need be. So most of our industry experts will indeed count it as two. That's important. And you do not need a child to ride. Child is not required. So, Jeff... Um- Let's talk about your
1: 2024 events lineup. Uh, you do some really cool events there. Uh, you know, we'll get to it, but you're like your 4th of July celebration that you do with the fireworks. I mean, that is just super immersive. Looks awesome. All the videos and photos I've seen of it. Uh, but just talk about your events lineup that you have this year.
2: Well, one, we try to really create a season of thrills where there's always something going on that's different to keep our fans and our guests entertained all year round, that there's always something to visit. Plus it's a great way of keeping the park fresh and always looking new and seasonal. So as soon as we begin the year, we begin with our Mardi Gras event, which is actually happening right now. The whole park is decorated for Mardi Gras. We rotate all the entertainment. We've got cavalcades and mini parades and Streetmosphere. Plus we have the Mardi Gras food festival that's also going on. So it's just a great time to kind of kick off spring As soon as Mardi Gras ends, we go to our spring break, screen break, which for folks that like to get a little Halloween fun during spring break, we open up three of our haunted houses, a scare zone in the evening hours between 6 and 9 of our daily spring break operation for guests that do also enjoy the spookiness of haunted houses. After spring break, screen break ends, we go right to our uh, Viva La Fiesta event, one of the big events in San Antonio in general is called Fiesta, It is an annual event that the city puts on, so our event is basically in concert with that, a very spring-like, vibrant celebration of cultures of San Antonio. As soon as Viva La Fiesta ends, we get right into our daily operation of our main summer, from Memorial Day to Labor Day, our big summer nighttime fireworks festival and events, smack dab in the middle of that. Not only do we decorate the park with Uh, colorful umbrellas and sunshines and just really fun more artwork looking theming and storytelling that's all over the park but then we get to our one of our two biggest fireworks shows of the year which one is on July 4th where we line the quarry walls with fireworks what we call fireworks 360 along with launching our drones that truly no matter which way you look it is just amazing the quarry walls are just exploding in every angle and if you haven't seen it I would Highly recommend just going to YouTube and watching the video because it's just unbelievable. And that show continues to get more notoriety. So if you do like fireworks, we do that show twice a year, once on 4th of July and again during New Year's Eve or the two times a year we do that. We continue on with our normal fireworks shows and summer entertainment, which then goes to our trilogy of fun and excitement for the fall, which is our Kids Boo Fest, Oktoberfest with our Oktoberfest Food Festival. And, of course, the coup d'etat, the grand excitement of it all, Fright Fest, which continues to get bigger, more horrifying, and more spectacular every year. And then we do a small celebration over Veterans Day and then right to Holiday in the Park. The truly the most magical time of the year where the park is caked in really beautiful decorations, millions of lights, but really also high-quality signature shows that our fans and friends have come to love over the years. And this past year, we introduced a new signature show, which was Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, a musical version that immediately became a uh, immediate hit and new fan favorite that, again, you can come and hopefully enjoy with your friends and family for decades to come. And that takes us to New Year's Eve, where we launch <laughs> off our big 360 fireworks. Then January 1st, we hit the repeat button and begin again with Mardi Gras.
0: So, Jeff, did you just list that off in one breath? Because I was waiting for an inhale. But, <laughs> you know you know but um you know you mentioned like you know your fireworks are getting notoriety it, actually i was familiar, i think it's magic in the sky that does your show is that is that still correct or uh yeah but it's a so, huge yes, huge huge show huge show and uh, you know i know some of the people that were involved in it in the past and i remember that was like by far their in their big company it was their biggest show but uh speaking of gaining notoriety the roller coaster rodeo that's quickly becoming you know, one of the enthusiast events that if you're going to go to one this year, that's the one to go to. You can say that about a lot of events, but yours is really kind of climbing up, kind of climbing up the the ranks a little bit. Can you talk about the roller coaster rodeo and what's involved? And if somebody were to attend, you know, what their experience would be like?
2: Well, you are very kind, my friend. Yes. It's, it's basically an enthusiast event that's designed by enthusiasts. It's all the crazy stuff that we all have loved going to parks. And we really love when you can pull back the curtain and see behind the scenes. So it's hard to believe this is the third annual version of it. Uh, We've already sold more tickets than we ever have before in the event's history. And it still has a long way to go before we get to June. So if you want to buy a ticket, all the information is on our website. But it truly is every coaster lover's dream, hopefully, event. From great behind-the-scenes tours to climbing on... Catwalks and stairwells and climbing to the top of cliffhanger, infield tours, clifftop tours, walking through our dark ride when it's not open. Uh, And, of course, the big event is Full Park ERT for hours on Saturday night after the park closes. It is every single ride exclusively for our guests for hours. You know, just run around. So we have a group of folks every year that their goal is to ride every single ride in the park in that span and you can more than easily do it which is a lot of fun in itself plus to kick it off we do a fright fest evening where all the monsters come out the haunted house is open fog rolls the street so we come up with really fun themed events and evenings to really make it a signature event plus every five minutes you're eating food there's always other fun side competitions and it really is just a great way of getting all of us together to celebrate the passion that we love which are amusement parks But more importantly, it's really about friendships. It's really a great time of year for us all to gather, spend time talking and sharing stories with our friends. And oh, by the way, there's lots of great rides to go on as well.
1: And it's not one day, not two days, but three days for this event.
2: That is correct. And you could buy just one day if you want. You could buy all three days. The cool thing is this year, our operations team, the designers actually designed a three poster series that you get a third of the poster every day you visit so to make the complete frame suitable for framing artwork you visit all three days and you get this entire cool poster uh exclusively for the third anniversary of roller coaster road now, is there
1: any um specific clubs you have to be a part of to come to this event or could anyone who just loves riding roller coasters come
2: we really try to make it easy it's we don't cap the event. We don't ask you to write essays or lotteries, or it's just, oh my gosh, if you want to come, just if you're with a club or not, if you just love roller coasters and want to be around other roller coaster enthusiasts and fans of the industry, just buy a ticket and come on out. We try to make it as easy as we can for our guests to enjoy the event. Yeah, well, I'm certainly hoping to be able to experience it this summer. That would be fantastic. We'd always love to see you down, especially in your Bucky's attire.
0: So Jeff, uh, you know, you're obviously very active on, on social media, but why don't you lay out, uh, if people want to keep up with what you have to say and, you know, in Six Flags Fiesta Texas, what, what's going on with them, where are some good places that they can look, social media, website, things like that?
2: Well, for, for, for Fiesta Texas or myself, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, threads x those are all great places for either fiesta texas or myself to find just additional information and content about what is going on of course the park's website as well where we're constantly posting and updating information so if you like more of the insider look that's what i somewhat reserve my channels for because again as you can imagine many of our guests don't care nearly the level of detail that a lot of our super fans like so the park channels are more of the mainstream information But if you like the more intimate details and behind the scenes of, hey, I'd like to know a little bit more. For example, I just posted about our new upcoming Penguin ride. And while the park has its information, we talk about Penguin. If you want more of an insider look and more of the details of how the cars are actually going to look, what is the story and theming of the ride, the different sets and vignettes that we're building. It just gives you more detail and information without boring our general guests that are like, yeah, I don't care. I just want to ride it. But we know for us and our super fans, we love that extra information and the extra details of the rides and experiences that we're at.
1: Yeah, Jeffrey, I really like what you do on X uh, with your personal channel there, the way you take the guests and everything behind the scenes of what's going on in the park. I think it adds like that personal touch where on the main park channel, this is across the industry, everything sometimes comes across as like messaging or you're trying to pitch a season pass or ticket deals and that kind of thing. I think it really um, just creates that personal connection between you, the S Texas, and the guest with the way you're doing. I think just a great job there.
2: Oh, that's that's very kind. No doubt the season pass has definitely helped pay the bills. But it's also a lot of fun just to show a little bit more behind the curtain of what goes on, of why, why are we doing what we're doing and how it's happening, how it occurs, because truly my role is I'm a caretaker. At the end of the day, my job is to just make sure that I'm Paying forward all the information of why we do what we do for the next generation of folks that are going to run theme parks and amusement parks. I want to make sure that they are more prepared and ready than I ever was coming into these jobs and opportunities. So my whole goal is to make sure that I'm paying forward all the information, sharing as much as I can for the next generation and making sure that Fiesta Texas is inherited by the next generation even better than how I received it for my time and and our folks that are currently working here with us as well.
0: That's perfect. So Jeff, you know, you're, you're a park president, you know, that's a lot of responsibility. Can you talk about some of the aspects of leadership that are really important for being in a position like that, especially when you've got different moving parts to worry about? You've got, you got to keep the guests happy. You got to keep the guests safe, but you also have to worry about things like employee retention. So what are your thoughts on leadership when it comes to like a position that you're
2: in? It, it all begins with the team. There is nothing that we could accomplish here that doesn't include the entire team and the entire team's effort listening to our guests. Because, again, it's not about what I want. It's about what our guests want and how do we as a team to deliver what our guests want. I often share that it's really As a lineage, you take care of the team, our team takes care of our guests, and our guests ultimately take care of our shareholders, that it is that lineage. So we spend a lot of time making sure that we are empowering and training and hiring the right team, because the right team is what makes the magic work. It's as much as we love to think it's about the rides and attractions, there's no doubt the rides and attractions are extremely cool and fun, but it's the team and the human-to-human connection that really makes fiesta texas a very special place to work and play and it is spending time with the team to make sure we are setting everyone up for success do we have the right people in the right roles are they succeeding in their roles and making sure everyone is supported to accomplish the goals that they have which just in, in turn really makes it all work
1: yeah i think anywhere that you go you know you look at uh, whether it's the you know the amusement theme park industry parks that are successful, sports teams that are successful, it all starts with that culture that's been created.
2: It's exactly right, because it all begins with us. It's the old adage of if you want to see how your team is performing, you look in a mirror, and it really is that. It's we as leaders making sure that we are setting a consistent and constant, in some ways, predictable environment, that our teams feel comfortable to share the hard news, because, again, we have to find solutions. Our job is not only to articulate the challenges and to make sure that they're comfortable to articulate the challenges, but it's also the real benefit to having a leadership team is so they can articulate and share the solutions because that's what's really important is, hey, here are the challenges of the things going on and here's three different ideas of how to solve this. And that really is the most meaningful part of the solution process is not only articulating those challenges, but coming up with meaningful solutions that they're comfortable in sharing.
0: Fantastic.
2: All right. So Jeff, do you have
0: any final thoughts that you want to share with the attractions groupies? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, truly is I shared I'm I a caretaker. I am here to help anyone that wants to help run these businesses, get a career in the amusement theme park industry. Feel free to reach out. I'm fully accessible. Like you, truly just absolutely love what we do, happen to be enthusiasts that are running theme parks in the industry. And it's been so fun watching so many enthusiasts now running the best and most exciting companies around the planet. And I think the industry is benefiting from having this generation of enthusiasts much more um, leading their organizations and in leadership roles to help create some of the really cool experiences we're now seeing being unleashed and developed around the world. It's, it's really fun to watch, great to be a part of, and no doubt I look forward to helping in any way I can for the next generation that's looking to carry this wonderful industry forward far beyond anything we could have ever imagined. All right. Well, Jeffrey,
1: I look forward to uh, you know, hopefully seeing you in June at your uh, coaster event, and it's been great having you on the Attractions Group podcast.
2: Oh my gosh, Don and Ryan, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure. Look forward to hopefully celebrating 160 together. So, hopefully we'll be invited back for the 160. That episode. that can be our cadence. And you're yeah, it, you you want us to have us
0: have you on every 80 episodes. So you, so just <laughs> plan you got to figure out. cuz I mean, I know you're joking that we do 80 episodes a week, but we do we do, we we release on Wednesdays. So have some big news that you can come on and talk about 80 Wednesdays from today. All right. What and what date is that? Someone asks Siri. Right. <laughs> okay, totally kidding. Yeah, Jeff, you're welcome on any time you want. Uh we would love to have you come back on and talk about uh your festivals as they come up and your new attractions that you add every every couple days it seems like and um but thank you for your contribution to the industry for all that you did for Kings Island and for Six Flags and Schlitterbahn and everything else. More importantly, thank you for what you can you uh did for the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> Cuz
2: <'Cause> nobody <laughs> pays attention
0: to that one, you know?
2: Well, it is absolutely my pleasure and look forward to talking with you guys again soon.